This week on Writers Inc. If I only wrote what I know, I never would have written a book because I know nothing. Um, but I, the, the best advice I can give any writer is have fun telling a great story. I used to say, tell a great story, which is basically a, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and knowing how to get from one to the other. That's, that's what I've learned from screenplays. But I've added more recently, having fun. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. JD, what's new this week, man? Oh, man, I'm bummed. So I, 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 I think I mentioned last week that I bought all this new audio hardware to make myself sound a little bit better because <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm on a Yeti, which is a, it's a good microphone, but you know, it's a USB microphone and you can definitely hear the difference. So I, I went out and I bought a, a brand new Shure and I bought a nice preamp that, you know, and you, you gave me a nice list of, of shopping stuff and there's nothing more fun than going out there and filling up the shopping basket <laughs> with new, new electronic gizmos. Um, got it all home, plugged it in and, and couldn't get a single sound to, to come through that microphone. Um, and you know, unlike you, I don't have any spare parts laying around, so I could, I couldn't swap out a cable or anything like that. So I, I ordered more stuff. I ordered another cable. I ordered something called a cloud lifter, which, you know, throws a little bit more of a signal in there to, to bump it up a little bit. Um, uh, plug that, that all came in yesterday. I plugged it all in still nothing. Um, so I, I put everything in a box, including my, my MacBook, and I, I got my mask, I got my gloves, and I, I went down to Guitar Center and, and waited in line outside because apparently a lot of people are going to Guitar Center right now. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I finally get inside. I've got my box of stuff, and I, I wasn't even sure how we were going to do this because, like, are they allowed to touch my, my, my equipment? Like, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, apparently they, they, they've got gloves of their own, so they put their own gloves on and their own mask, and we started just, you know, plugging in this and plugging in that. And we, we figured out that it was the microphone. So brand new sure microphone did not work. Um, so he, you know, he said, Oh, no problem. We carry these. And he looked on his computer and said, Oh, we don't have any in stock. So then he checked the like surrounding stores. Cause we've got a few that are like within 30, 40 minutes of here. None of them have it either. So then they checked their warehouse and it's back ordered. So I'm thinking, well, I'll just get it from Amazon. That's where I got the first one from. And I, I hate doing that. Like I prefer to shop local, you know, especially now, you know, as yep. much as I possibly can. Um, so I get on Amazon and I initiate the little return and they're really good about swapping stuff like that out. Um, then I get a message saying that it's backordered and it, it doesn't, they don't know when like the replacement will ship. So I'm still on the Yeti. I will probably <laughs> be on the Yeti for the foreseeable future. Um, but it's a nice Yeti. So yeah, it'll work. And <laughs> it'll work. Uh, and that's so, that's just so rare that that happens. That's why I didn't even think that the microphone was defective when we were trying to troubleshoot it because how often yeah. do like defective mics ship? Uh, apparently they do. <laughs> well, it, to me, it seemed like it was turned off. So I'm like just flipping the thing, like in every possible direction, looking for an on and off switch, you know, cause every microphone I've ever used always has a little, you know, on and off slider on it, but these, these don't, you know, you plug it in and it's live or it's supposed to be. Right. Um, but yeah, it was sad to have to put it back in the box and, and now it's sitting out in front of the house waiting for the UPS guy to, to take it away. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll have a little What's party the... once your new mic shows up. <laughs> yeah. What's going on with you? 
I get a little uh, a little uh, free five day writing challenge I'm going to be hosting next month. I thought I'd give our audience a little little advance notice, heads up on it. Um, it's going to be fun. I'm going to just take people through the basics of writing a good scene, uh, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't really matter. Completely free. Uh, I get a landing page up if people are interested. It's at uh, superchargeyourscene.com, and uh, cool. should be should be a lot of fun. And it's going to start on June 15th. So uh, as of recording, you know, people have a few weeks, but um, definitely get over there and sign up. There's a free uh, there's a, a private Facebook group where people are getting to know each other, and it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. All right. And we've got uh, John Land, I think, on deck for today, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, this was a, a, a guy you reached out to to get on this show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Uh, John, John's a great guy. He's one of the, the first people I met at the very first Thriller Fest I went to. Um, he put me on a panel, um, and this panel was like the very first one in the morning. And I, I forget what time it was, but like 8 or 8.30 or something. And everybody came stumbling in with their cup of coffee that they haven't even started drinking yet. You know, kind of fell into their seats, their eyes half closed. And, and within like a minute, he had that room just buzzing. I mean, he's got so much energy. He just he completely lights up the room. Um, and it just, you know, a great guy just for reaching out, you know, cause at the time I was a complete newbie. Nobody knew who I was, you know, especially in the ITW world. Um, and, and he, you know, introduced me to people in the hallway and just, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, and it, it, it's ITW in general is, is my favorite con to go to or, or thriller fest is my favorite con to go to. And, and it's largely because of that, you know, it doesn't matter what level the, you know, the authors are at, they're, they're not afraid to reach out and help somebody else who needs it. You know, everybody is, is kind of perceived as a peer there, which, which is nice. Yeah, totally agree. I, uh, I've only been to one, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and was highly disappointed when this year's wasn't going to happen. So, uh, yeah, this one's, um, I, I, I'm, they're interviewing me. So there's, there's a virtual thriller fest that, yeah. that's going to happen. Um, I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out. I don't know if they're doing panels or if they're going to do a, an online version of panels, but I, I, I've got an interview scheduled for Monday for it. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. It's, you know, it's gonna be something a little bit different, but they, they tend to step up I and mean, there's a lot of creative people there. Yep. Totally. So, uh, yeah, uh, moving on, moving forward. It's all we can do at this time. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> all right. So you ready to hear from John? Yeah, let's play it. I am so excited to hear you tell me about, uh, what it's been like to take over murder. She wrote that is just phenomenal. Ha! You know, uh, thank you for saying that. And I can tell you that I got a call uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, I think the anniversary is actually coming up. I think it must've been four years ago now from my agent on a Sunday. When you get a call from your agent on a Sunday, it means either somebody died <laughs> or something good happened. In my case, it was kind of a combination of the two because my agent, um, Bob DeForio said, Don Bain, who was then writing the Murder, She Wrote books, along with the Capital Crime books, another series I've taken over, isn't, isn't well, his health is failing, and he's going to need to pass the series on to someone else. Would you be interested in taking over Murder, She Wrote? So in the court, in a millisecond, I thought in my head, I've never written a mystery. I've never written first person. I've never written from the viewpoint of an older woman. <laughs> so, of course, I said, yes, count me in. Because in this business, Jay, the answer is yes. What was the question? The, the, the next opportunity you get may be the last one you get for a long time. You never say no. You say yes. Like the actor who says, hey, can you ride a horse? Absolutely. You get the part, then you go out and learn how to ride the horse. <laughs> you know, you never, never turn down work. It's like in the movie business, 
Um, I've, you know, I've, I read a lot of screenplays, written a ton of them. Got they're, they're all over. They're everywhere. But only one of my screenplays has ever gotten made. And uh, one of our producers, Dan Kaplow, uh, who was coming off uh, Secret Window and a bunch of other stuff. Terrific producer. Uh, he boiled down the entire film business into one sentence. Get the friggin' movie made. <laughs> Nothing else matters. Get, and by the way, he didn't use the word friggin'. Yeah. I don't know about our audience, so I figure I'm going to keep it PG, PG-13 uh, for this interview. Um, and in the book business, it's the answer is yes. What was the question? I can, You can do anything uh, you want. And in fact, my first agent, the great legendary Tony Mendez, once told me some of the greatest writing advice I've ever been given. When you know the characters, you can write anything. That's all. That, if you know the people you're writing about, you can write in any shot. Wow. I, so I, that's how I got to, that's, that's how I became Jessica Fletcher's co-writer. Wow. So do you take that attitude into life as well? Do you just say yes to everything? You know, that's a very good question. And no, uh, <laughs> only an idiot would say yes to everything. <laughs> however, however, there are groups I only say yes to. International thriller writers. We just had to cancel our great conference, Thriller Fest, where I, I became so good fun. friends with JD. I have tr such great respect for him. And, and JD is a model of how you succeed in this business. That's another story. Uh, I don't know where my career would be. I only got the Murder, She Wrote gig because of international thriller writers, the organization in general, and Thriller Fest in particular, because that's where I met my agent. That's where I met the man who brought me Murder, She Wrote, and Capital Crimes. If I don't join ITW, International Thriller Writers, if I don't go to Thriller Fest, I don't meet Bob DeForio. I'm not sure I'm a, I'm even, I even have a career today if it wasn't for International Thriller Writers. So when they ask me to do anything, the answer is always yes. I never say no to them. And I think if, you, if your philosophy is you, when someone does something for you, you want to pay it back. And you want, and the other way I pay it back is I know in my heart that, that maybe it's an exaggeration to say I wouldn't have a career if not for ITW, I wouldn't have this career. So I am very passionate about working um, with, I call them newbies. I would say young writers, but a lot of them, Jay, are not young. <laughs> a lot of them, it's their second career, their third career, an additional career. So you know, I love working with them, but I'll tell you, I am very, I'm not, I'm, I'm nice, but I'm brutal because they're not sitting in front of me in a pitch practice session for me to tell them how great they are. They're sitting in front of me to, to, to help them. So I always will say yes to international thrill writers. There are other things I'll always say yes to. And there are some other things I'll almost always say no to um, just because of how they've treated me. Um, it all is how you're treated. It's weird. I only have two gears. I'm either all in or I'm all out. And it's very difficult emotionally because I'm, I'm, I'm a creature who works on passion. Everything to me is, is about putting everything I have into something. Um, and I don't know how to do less than that. So it's, it's harder for me to, to find to, something in the center. So, uh, but I want you not to worry. You're, you're on the all inside. Uh, oh, nice. no worries. <laughs> no worries.
Thank you, John. That's uh, what a wonderful surprise. Well, well, I, I, you know, it's not your birthday, but I figured, uh, you know, I, I, I'm the gift that keeps on giving. You're all in on this podcast. I, I, I can tell you that. I am. You're I all am. in. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess it goes without saying then that, that you believe these younger or less experienced writers should seek out and join professional organizations. I think it's absolutely crucial. Um, but not any, just, just not, you don't just throw a stone and join anyone you hit. Although, but I, I think in the case, you want to find ones that, first of all, in your genre. Secondly, that offers the kind of programs and um, conferences that can make you go forward. For instance, do, you know, pitching, we have at Thriller Fest, when we have it this year, the first in 16 years, we won't be having it. Um, we have pitch fest. We have 40 agents in a room. Where else can 200 fledgling writers trying to get a better deal or a, their first deal, where else can you be in a room with 40 agents um, at the same time? Yeah. And I'll tell you now, what, I, John. Other conferences have three or four, five, maybe yeah. one. No. And they meet for the course of three. They go over the course of three days. You book appointments. Um, so, I, I think it is important. And the other thing is some of my best friends are, are, are members of ITW. And before I joined ITW, I had no writer friends. And now the likes of, you know, Steve Berry, Bob Stein, RL Stein, David, David Morrell, Gail Lins, MJ Rose, Doug Preston, Jim Rollins. Um, the thing I'm going to miss the most about Thriller Fest this year isn't just the conference. But on the Tuesday night before Thriller Fest for 15 years, we've all been going to the Palm Steakhouse for dinner. And it's the greatest night of the year. Lee Child, I forgot to mention Lee, because oh, yeah. he, he mostly moved to, you know, he moved to Mont Wyoming or something. So we don't hear from him as much anymore. And, and now he and his brother are writing the Jack Reacher books together. Uh, so he's off the list. No, he's not off the list. But, uh, you know, I remember Lee one year, the bill comes. And he, he, had, he, he takes it. And usually we just, you know, we share it and he goes, I'm picking it up this year because I just signed a new contract that makes me wealthier than the country of Belgium. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so Lee picked up the tab that year. I've never quite landed a deal like that to allow me to do the same, but I think it's important for, for fledging writers to find community. Um, we are in a business and industry which defies that because we're in a box writing by ourselves. Uh, and I love that. So when, when a pandemic strikes, it doesn't bother, it doesn't affect my life, as you know, um, nearly as much as it's affected the world because it's pretty much business as usual. You know, this is what I do every day. What's weird is, and this is, this is when you're a writer, you know how many people call, can you take me to the airport? <laughs> right. I'm working. Yeah. Yeah, no, come on, you're right. You can you can do whatever you want. Well, now it's like all these people are home. So they're scheduling all these things, like reunion calls and stuff. And I say, you know, I have a, you know, I'm still working. I know that you're home, but I'm still working from home. And I don't have set 10 hours a week free to do Zoom calls. And when we do a Zoom call, you know, you can only do like 40 minutes at a time if you're not like a business professional on Zoom or something. So 
we get three different codes from, from the moderator, from my, my, my fraternity brother, the moderator. Uh, and it's like, I don't want to do two. I can't do two hours. Can I just do 40 minutes? All right, I'll do 60 minutes. I've got to go back to work. So it's it, Jay, it's weird. That's all I got to say. It's weird. I, I'm so going to miss Thriller Fest. I, last ah. year was the first time I did Pitch Fest. And I have to tell you, even if nothing comes out of it, the, forcing a writer to sit down and pitch a book in 10 to 15 seconds and do it over and over again within about a two hour time window, you come out of that experience transformed. You know, it's, and it's a crucial skill to master. I, and, and you would think the, the quote elevator pitch, that 20 word, you know, uh, great white shark terrorizes uh, a New England coastal town during the summer. You know, that's a good one. You, that, well, gee, I think I'll write that one, right? <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I am, you know, uh, Bob Kosberg, I've been at conferences with the pitch master. This is the guy who invented it. He's, he's famous for selling something in the room. And he once sold a movie about this. It was a terrible film, <laughs> terrible film about a dog, a bionic dog. It's like this crossbred thing and it can climb trees cause it's got some tiger. And he went into the room and all he had to say was, Jaws with paws. Oh. And it got made. That's Jaws with paws. The man is a genius. <laughs> and he's one of the nicest guys. Um, I've been in a couple conferences with him and and, and I've learned a lot from him. Um, but it's so important for writers to master all the skills, all the tools of the trade. And the most classic line is and this comes from the film business. What's your script about? What's your movie about? You've got 20 seconds, the, the old elevator pitch, because you have between floors to, to say, hey, it's about this. You need to develop the sales skills, the marketing skills, the market yourself. And I'm not talking about marketing yourself to the public. That's a whole other skill set. I'm talking about marketing yourself as a product, as a brand to publishers, to agents, to the whole thing. That is as important, who you are, how you present yourself can be as important as what you write. So, because, and, and this is becoming, we don't know, Jay, what the publishing industry is going to emerge as at the other side of this pandemic. There are a lot of scary things out there right now. A lot of scary stories, a lot of things you hear from agents about, we're going to, uh, you're only going to get 10% on signing now, uh, take it or leave it. And you're not going to get it on pub payment. You're going to get uh, your fine. You're not going to get your final payment until a year after the book is published. Mm. So there, now I've heard these things. I, I haven't dealt with it directly yet, but um, publishers always have had all the power. Now they're going to have even more, <laughs> you know? So we're, we're, it, we're, we're going to be into it. This is not a blip. This is a paradigm shift and we have to wonder what's going to look, what's it going to look like on the other side? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I, wish I had a crystal ball for that. You, you know, maybe you don't, <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah. You, you said in an interview one time that you thought, write What you know is terrible advice. Oh, awful. Yeah. So, so tell awful. me what, what, what's your, what's your top level advice that replaces that? Cause I hear that everywhere. Um, a few things. Well, first of all, write what you want, write what you imagine, write what you see in your head. Right. If I only wrote what I know, I never would have written a book because I know nothing. <laughs> um, 
Well, I, the, the best advice I can give any writer is have fun telling a great story. I used to say, tell a great story, which is basically a, a, a beginning, a middle and an end and knowing how to get from one to the other. That's, that's what I've learned from screenplays. But I've added more recently having fun because if you're having fun telling the story, writing the story, the reader is going to have fun absorbing it, reading it. Essentially, Jay, the, the, the relationship between reader and writer is equivalent between a child and an adult telling them a story out loud. Tell me a story, grandpa. And they sit in, or, or read me a story. And you look at the eyes of a four or five-year-old, a three-year-old or a two-year-old. And it's like, oh my God. It could be the 50th time they've heard that story. How is it that kids can watch the same movie yeah. over and over and over and over again, three times in the same day, Toy Story? You know, it's how is it? Because there is a magic about storytelling. And what a great book does is it, re, it, it reinstitutes, it recreates the original relationship, it makes you feel like a kid again. So you when you're a writer, you need to write to the child in all of us. You have to write to the imagination. If you only write what you know, if you limit yourself to, to research, you're going to be, you're going to write Tom Clancy books where there's a lot of stuff that everybody skips. You know, nobody reads those pages. Nobody. All the technical I mean, okay, stuff. You know, yeah. homes, maybe. That's not what I read a book for. I'll give you a perfect example. Few, I didn't think a book scare me anymore. I thought I was past that. Then a few years ago, the long-awaited sequel to The Shining came out, Doctor Sleep. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Nobody has done it as long as him and stayed as good. Now, he's had some peaks and valleys. Let's face it. Sure. He's written some bad books, Bag of Bones. What, Stephen? What were you thinking? <laughs> but there is no one in our industry who is as good today often as he was when he started, if not, you know, it, it's amazing. So I, 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 oh, I can't wait to read this Dr. Sleep. I had nightmares. Wow. Reading I, I mean, I could not stop. I, it was like the whole story of this young girl who has the shining and the, the attempts of Danny Torrance all grown up to help her against this murderous band of hobos, vampiric creatures who suck the life out of children. Um, it reminded me of how, of the, of that relationship I was just describing. It felt like Stephen King wrote the story for me and the, uh, and the mark of a great book is when you read it. And I've never said this to anyone with new definition. It feels like it was written just for you. It feels if you read one of my Caitlin strong books, one of my murder, she wrote books. Um, I want you to think, I wrote it just for you. This is the problem. When I took over the series, I had a problem, Jay. Um, I promised JD I would tell a lot of, I would tell the truth. Okay. <laughs> uh, you always tell the truth. You never have to remember what you said. I was taking over a series. So what do you do when you take over a series? The first thing you do, I have not said this publicly You're so, before. I've said it privately. You, you read other books in the series. Yep. You just to, to form a template. I had done that. That's how I started I re my career by imitating Robert Ludlum and Stephen King. You know, you, um, here's the problem. The three books I read in, in the series were unreadable. Oh, I, 
I could not. I thought, how can I take over the series? I can't stand the books. Oh, no. <laughs> so they were quote called cozy mysteries. Yeah. Well, is, is a definition of a cozy mystery, nothing happens and what does happen, you don't care about. And then, you know, if, if the murder happens 100 pages in, not in the first chapter, the way Agatha Christie told us it must. Um, so I believe whether you're writing, you have to take ownership of whatever you do. You have to, I mentioned passion before. So I could not write the Murder, She Wrote books. I didn't go all the way back to the beginning. Maybe I should, because I hear the earlier ones were better. Uh, I couldn't, they were unreadable to me. So I knew I had to do it my way. Um, I had to take ownership. Um, so I went back to the TV series. I didn't know, so I ignored the books. I said, I'm throwing all the books out. 46 books, love Don Bain, wonderful human being. I'm throwing his books in the trash. <laughs> um, not because they're trashy, but just because I'm going to go back and start and make believe I'm writing the series as if it had been invented today in 2016 or se 2017 or 18 at the time. I'm going to pick up with the television show. Don Bain had never watched the TV show when wow. he took over when he started the book series. So his books don't capture the, in my, that people think they do now because he wrote so many of them and the show's been off the air, but they don't. If you read the television, if you watch the TV show and the books, they're entirely different Jessica's. So I get a kick out of the fact that people criticize, I've gotten a lot of criticism on quote peer Amazon reviews and the likes because I've changed Jessica Fletcher. I've made her gruff and mean and snippy. No, I didn't. I went back to the way Angela Lansbury played her in right. the TV show. Some of those shows were great mysteries and they were not, they were cozies. Of course, when the show came on the air, the quote cozy genre had not been invented yet. So how can you tell me Murder, She Wrote is a cozy when the TV show was invented, came on the air before cozies existed? So, I went back and some of those mysteries, the pilot episode, the murder of Sherlock Holmes, episode 16 of season one, I think it might have been, I think it was 16, murder takes the bus when Jesse, when they're in a diner. It was actually a takeoff on the classic Twilight Zone episode, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Strangers trapped when a bridge washes out, trapped it by a storm in a diner and start things start happening to them one at a time. Uh, and by the way, the next one I'm doing in the in my series in the Murder She Wrote series, the Murder of Twelve, is and my version of and then the, the Murder She Wrote version of and then there were none, the greatest mystery of all time. I think a writer, and we're getting back into the craft. Be ambitious. It wasn't enough for me to take over Murder She Wrote. I only wanted to take over Murder She Wrote. Yes. The answer is yes. What was the question? <laughs> because I wanted to, to put my stamp on it. In the last book, you meet Jessica Fletcher for the first time as a younger woman solving her first murder ever before she's a famous writer. She's still, we meet her husband, Frank, for the first time. We meet her nephew, Grady, at the age of eight. No one had ever done that before. And then I said, you know what? What's the greatest mystery of all time? Maybe not the greatest, the most famous. And then there were none. No doubt about it. Yeah. And then there were none. Uh, maybe uh, in the Hound of the Baskervilles or, or one that would probably have been the most famous Sherlock Holmes. Um, but nothing compares to and then there were not.
So I said, I'm going to write the Murder, She Wrote version. I don't, and I'm not going to write it to be as good or a homage, which it is, but I want to write a better mystery than, and then where there were none. Um, and I saw a few clues right away. Uh, so I made the series my own, but I also, by making, how did I make it my own? By doing things that had not only ever been done in the book series that preceded me, the books that preceded me, but had never even been done on the TV series. We never met young Jessica on the TV series. Jessica never had a mystery. So are these still cozies? Yes. Why? Because we're familiar with the setting. We're familiar with the characters. We're co we feel cozy and comfortable because it's like visiting old friends every six months. We, we, it's like, you know, we're invited, they're inviting us into their homes again. That's what makes it a cozy, not dull, boring <laughs> bake sales and stuff that have nothing to do with, you know, the, the best editors I've had, I've had great, I've been blessed with great editors all my career. And the best thing an editor can say to you is, what is the, how does this relate to the story? If it doesn't move the story forward, what's it doing in the book? Everything is about moving the story forward. Um, I tell people, I tell writers, every scene must have its own independent beginning, middle, and end. Not just the book, but every scene. And this also comes from screenwriting. Be able to define, but also be able, don't, you can't just have two characters sitting in um, a, 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 a restaurant talking because there's no, why am I, what are they trying to resolve? To be able to define the conflict in every scene. And sometimes the conflict in, in dialogue is, 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 is not necessarily angry. It's just sharp. And that's where you get the dialogue. That's why I love Harry McGraw, Jerry Orbach's character in Murder, She Wrote, yes. who went on to have his own series, which didn't last very long, The Law and Harry McGraw. And I, there's nothing I enjoy more than, than getting Harry into every one of the books that I do. Because I have, I don't know where the dialogue between him and Jessica comes from, but I know it's going to be there. He's so much fun to write. Um, he's so funny, you know, um, and he's just like the character in the book. And so is one of the great fun I had in a time for murder is Jessica's investigating her first murder. Now I haven't been able to introduce Amos Tupper played by Tom Bosley on the TV show so well before he went on. Now remember, he did Happy Days before Murder, She Wrote. Right. Then he went on to do, I think it was Father Brown. Oh, yeah. I think he went on to play Father Brown when he left the series. But I've never been able to write Amos Tupper because Mort Metzger is, is the sheriff now. But in a time for murder where Jessica investigates her first killing ever, he's the detective in the town she's living in. So I got to write Amos Tupper. And how did I write him? I wrote him as Tom Bosley. Yeah. You know, I write Mort Mesker as Ron Massick. I write um, Seth Hazlitt as William Wyndham. I mean, I even have Claude Aikens as Ethan Craig character. People don't realize that Ethan Craig's character, played by Claude Aikens, was Seth Hazlitt. Seth Hazlitt doesn't appear in the first 12 or 13 episodes. He comes in later as William Wyndham because they felt they needed someone a little softer than Claude Akins. 
Do you, do you sit down and plan these mysteries out beforehand or do you ah! show up at the page and see what happens? That's such, such a great question. And I tell writers, I tell people other, do what you're comfortable for you. I, I, I'm a, I'm a seat of the pants writer. Yeah. I never know. And it works great in thrillers. It's great. And by the way, uh, a reviewer for book trip coined the phrase in reviewing my murder. She wrote books, the cozy thriller. And I'm writing cozy thrillers, not cozy mysteries. I'm not sure <laughs> that's a compliment or not. And <laughs> might explain why I get some angry emails. Um, uh, but the the thriller, it, it works. Writing by the seat of your pants works great for a thriller because it's all surprises. And you ne don't ne and then you go back and you fix a few things. With mysteries, it's harder. Yeah. Because when you figure out the clue, because you don't know that you're just throwing all this crap at the wall and whatever sticks, sticks. And then you get to the point where, uh Oh, I gotta, I gotta make some connections here. And then it's, you, I forget all the other things I did. So it's like, I've got all this redundancy and repetition and I've got to go back and fix it. So ideally um, now I will say in the murder of 12, a little spoiler, the key clue is there are, two fraternal twins and there's a there's a wedding at this uh jessica is stranded at hill house hotel with 12 strangers all members of a wedding party in a five in a, in a killer blizzard record blizzard for maine five feet of snow is going to fall uh, and the, the the best man is 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 the brother and one of and one of the people getting married is is you know the groom and, and best man are, are, are fraternal twins jessica notices in this video montage when they're at this, at this, when they're marooned for dinner uh, and in Hill house, they're showing these slides. She notices there's a third bed in the nursery, but there's only two twins. <laughs> and that, so with that book, I knew much earlier where I was going. I knew who the killer was much earlier because I had this vision of this third crib, almost like a Gothic feel to it. You know, whoa, wait a minute. There's only two brothers and there's a third crib. So there, no spoiler alert. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I got, um, I, 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 we kind of talked a little bit about this, but this is one of uh, my favorite questions to ask. And, and, and someone who is so prolific and experienced as you, I'd love to get your take on it. I okay. know we don't have a crystal ball, but oh boy. what is this crazy publishing industry going to look like in say five years from now? You, you've probably gotten the impression from this, from us talking for the first time that I'm a pretty optimistic person. It seems Very that positive. way, pretty passionate. I am not positive or optimistic about the publishing industry in any way, shape or form. I've got to be honest with you. Now, part of this is residue. I am a creature of mass market paperbacks. My first 13 books were published in paperback. I was always someone, you know, if I sold okay, I mean, digital didn't exist until relatively recently. Audio was, was just really getting started. Um, I, I could sell on hardcover and, you know, digital, okay, a little bit. But my big thing was paperbacks. You could go into an airport and I'd be everywhere. Every airport in the country, I'd be in the top 10, by the way. Not because I was legitimately a top 10 author, but because my publisher had paid for that space. <laughs> oh, no, they had paid for number five. Number one cost too much. So I got number five. <laughs> well, the mass market industry died. No more paperbacks. 
my latest Caitlin Strong book is not even being released in, in, in mass market for the first time. Wow. And it's shattering. So I've already seen my career change dramatically because of the death of mass market. Now I fear with this pandemic, I don't know how many bookstores we're going to lose, how many more we can afford to lose. I don't know about the future of Barnes and Noble. I don't know publishers that, that work on a very narrow profit margin, how they can endure um, the, the, the loss of those kind of book sales. I think books are always going to be here. Publishers are always going to be here. Um, books will still be published. Less books will be published well. Mm. And right now, the book business is kind of on an 80-20 scale. 20% of, of the product creates 80% of the revenue. What you're going to see is 5 or 10% of the product creating 90% of the revenue. Wow. You're still going to have your sci-fi, your Westerns, your erotica. <laughs> your, your specialty markets are always going to be there for dedicated audiences if writers can afford to make the, the payments work. But the biggest fear is how much outside of the biggest, the one-tenth of one millionth of one percent who are really not just New York Times bestselling authors, but brands, the, the Baldacci's and the Patterson's, the late Clive Cussler, um, you know, uh, the, the perennial number ones like Harlan Coben and Michael Connolly, Stephen King. Outside of this very, this very rare community, this very small community, how much more of the pie is going to be left for the rest of us? And that's a fear. That that that's a uh, a legitimate. Um, I, I've never been more down on the future of my industry. Um, I, it's it's almost like the greatest play of all time is death of a salesman, because no matter when you read it, it's relevant. Yeah. There are a lot of days, and I watched my father's business, which was retail home installment before malls and oh. you know credit cards. I watched it die. Rising gas prices ultimately killed it. I watched my father become Willie Loman. And now I'm afraid I'm watching myself become Willie Loman. I'm watching writers. I'm watching this industry become Willie Loman's industry from death of a salesman. Not a positive thing. Um, not a positive outlook, but one I'm afraid is, is what we're looking at. Where do you think readers fit into that future? The only hope the industry has is a great question. The only hope industry has is demand. As long as readers are out there, book sales have, in the pandemic, book sales have not dropped that much from last year. They're, of all industries, this is the oxymoron in all this. The book industry is stable during a pandemic that's killing it. You know, so online sales, um, digital sales, uh, my nonfiction publisher tells me that 70% of my sales are now going to be on Amazon. 70% wow. of, now that's, that's post Hill Press, different model than Macmillan, where my Caitlin Strong books are, or Berkeley, where my Murder, She Wrote books are. Uh, so it's a different model. But uh, another thing I think we're looking at, post Hill Press works on a revenue sharing agreement. You get a much better royalty, but there's no advance. You're basically a partner. I think that's going to become the model. Yeah. I think publishers are going to start stop paying. No advances, no payment on publications. Write a book, be our partner. 
you know, if we fail, we fail together. If we, if we succeed, we succeed together. You're, you're not going to get 10%. You're going to get 30, 40, 50, 60%. Um, that might be where we're going to, Jay. Which is unfortunate because the publishers have a hundred horses in the race and you as the author have one. Well, and you've got to make, you're just continuing the metaphor. You have to win the race. You have to prove in this business, before you can be successful, you have to be relevant and staying relevant means, um, you know, saying yes to everything and finding other ways to make yourself relevant when what your when your own stuff is not succeed is not succeeding anymore or any or never did to the level that you need to make a living this is a business so when i say that i'm scared um it's 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 from the heart because this is how i make a living and when i and i honestly don't know what might what the future is when you look at at sales figures and stuff like that um there there's no the only certainty in this business is there are no certainties okay man so uh you didn't really give me a lot of a lot of heads up on john before we recorded the interview but that guy is a character. Yeah, your middle name is seamless, and I think his should be caffeine. <laughs> um, it just uh, the way that he goes. I mean, he's he's on eleven all the time. Wow! You know, but, um, just a wealth of knowledge, though. Oh, I you know, it, it's so much fun talking to him. Yeah, I, I like his answer is, is always yes, no matter what. And, yes. and you really get you get that from him. Um, you know, no matter what it is that they throw at him, like, yes, absolutely. And, and, and especially when it comes from ITW. I mean, I, I know I'm saying singing their praises quite a bit, but yeah, those, those people like, if, if, you know, if they call me up right now and they say, hey, can you do this for, for Thriller Fest because we're trying something different? Like, I'm, I'm totally on board. I don't even have yep. to know what it is. You know, I, I will do it. Um, and, you know, and he's a he's a good example of that. Um, the other thing that he brought up is something that I, I tend to preach a lot, um, the whole pay it forward thing, yes. you know, which, you know, he's, he's, you know, again, he, he will reach out and help anybody, whether it's, you know, a, a rising star or somebody that's a well-established New York Times bestseller. Um, you know, he bends over backwards to help him out. And, you know, that comes back, you know, it, it's come back for me. I mean, that's how I got in touch with Stephen King. It was because somebody else that I had helped out years, you know, 10, 15 years earlier, you know, was returning a favor that I had done, you know, and, you know, people that I mentor now, you know, like I, I've got no doubt at, at one point I'll either be picking up the phone to call one of them to ask them for a favor or, you know, but it, it will come around. Um, it, it always does. So that, that that's kind of nice. Um, and uh, the quote that he threw out there, the mark of a good book is when it feels like it was written just for you. Yes. Um, that, that I feel like that needs to be on a, a t-shirt or a coffee <laughs> mug or, or, or something. Cause it, it's so true. I mean, when you close a book and it, you know, it, it, the author speaks to you directly, that that's when it's a win. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as fun and lighthearted and, and positive as he is, like John's the real deal. Uh, and I would, I really wanted to hear from you because I think you're probably closer to this than I am, but he took over murder. She wrote like that in <laughs> itself is a crazy, uh, challenge. I mean, would you ever consider taking over a, a, an established franchise like that? Cause you, you know, like you're not going to please all the, all those readers. 
Yeah, I've actually done it. Um, and I, I wish I could talk about it, but you know, when I was doing the ghostwriter thing, um, you know, there's, there were, there were NDAs involved. Um, so I, I have completed books for, for other authors, you know, where they got into a time crunch and, you know, like one guy called me, he was New York times bestseller, you know, every, every year with, with his book, but he, he overcommitted, um, for a couple books for the year and he didn't have time to do them because he was on tour. Uh, so he sent me a book that was about three quarters of the way done, gave me the outline for the rest and I finished it for him. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do um, because you're, you're basically speaking in somebody else's voice. You know, I, I did it with Dracul. Um, in order to do that, I listened to the, the audiobook for Dracula on a constant repeat for about four months straight just to get Bram's voice and his cadence and his tone and his vocabulary and everything into my, my brain. Um, so you have to be willing to commit to it. And at the same time, it, it's really it's somebody else's baby that you're kind of taking over. So, you know, it's, it's not your baby anymore, um, you know, but if, if somebody were to call me up today and say, Hey, do you want to write the next Jason Bourne book? Um, I'm pretty sure I would say yes to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, so I, I, I can see where he's coming from. And at the same time, it, it was a solid series to begin with. So I, as a writer, I mean, it, it probably opened some doors for him because now he's got a, you know, probably a nice payday coming in from that. It's got a built-in readership and that might allow him to, you know, on, on the, the other side to write something that he may want to do. You know, he writes these and, and now he can do something else on, on top of that where he might've been struggling a little bit more before. So there, there's rarely a downside, I think, to, to doing something like that. Yeah, it goes back to his attitude of yes, just say yes. Yeah, just say yeah. yes. Uh, and he had, um, and even with Murder, She Wrote, he had that additional layer of the television show. So there's this right. weird triangle of expectation between the old readers, the television show, and then what John was going to bring. So I, I just, in admiration of that, uh, the fact that he accepted that challenge and then did so well with it. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that adds a whole other dynamic to it. Like, I, I've seen the TV show. I've never once read one of the books. Um, when he mentioned that he was writing a young Jessica Fletcher, you know, my business hat went on and I was like, well, you know, you could spin that off into another series because now you've got a young adult, you know, detective for the first time that you could roll out there along with the rest of the books. Um, so there's a lot of different ways he could go, but I mean, at this point that series is his, you know, he's, he's taking yeah. it over and it's his voice and you know, it's that much better for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super interview. I, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute I was on that call with him. He was so entertaining. We, we could have gone on for a, a couple of hours. <laughs> but, yeah, you, know, you know, what actually frightened me was his outlook on the publishing industry. I yeah. mean, this, this is a guy that is glass half full all the time. It doesn't matter. He could get in a 10 car pileup and he's going to stumble out of that car with two broken arms and he's going to have a smile on his face and be positive <laughs> about it somehow. Yeah. Um, but his, his take on where the publishing industry is going was, was a little on the dismal side. Um, and, you know, I'm, and I'm hearing a lot of that, you know, so it's, it's really hard to say where, where everything's going. My agent's taking my new book out next week. Um, so, you know, hopefully I'll be able to offer some feedback there. Um, but I've been hearing a lot of the same thing, same things that he is, you know, less money on the, on the upfront side, you know, from an advanced standpoint um, in exchange for higher payouts, um, you know, I think things like that. Um, what's weird is that, you know, if you think about that, the model is sort of shifting to an indie publisher kind of model, you know, the more the publisher is asking you to do, you know, that, a lot of times you can do a lot of those things on your own. So you have to weigh that percentage that they're willing to give you. And, and are they really willing to commit? You know, like, are they bringing something to the table at, at that point? 
because um, the other thing you're going to have to really watch out for, I advise all authors out there to make sure they've got somebody watching their, their finances closely. Um, but when I worked in the, the record industry, I used to see bands get nickel to dime for just about everything. Um, and they didn't realize it, you know, that, you know, you get some kid that has a, a number one song or top five song, and all of a sudden he's all over the radio and he's got all this money coming in. And then he would get his accounting paperwork and he would realize that he was charged, you know, thousands of dollars for FedEx, you know, his, he went out on tour and he had to pay for the band, he had to pay for the equipment, like all this stuff comes out on the upfront side and he had no say in it, it just happens. Um, and I could see something like that possibly happening in the publishing business where, you know, you're going to get, you know, let's say a quarter million dollar advance, um, but then you're going to see $200,000 of that written off as expenses against your earnings and, and you're going to get a check for the difference. Um, so it, it, we may be heading in that direction. Who knows? Yeah. And as, as someone who's, you know, five or six chapters into the first draft of a manuscript I hope to take out. I'm, I'm wondering how good my timing is, but I can't really think about fall right now. I just got to focus on finishing that book. So I have something to take out first. Yeah. Just, just get it done and get the book out there. I mean, it, it, the industry has always changed, always evolved. There, there's going to be a way to get the, the book out one way or the other. Yeah. Cool. All right. So who do we got next week? Next week, we've got Evan um, from, uh, what, oh, I've, I'm drawing a blank on the website story story. It's well, it's story origin dot app. And that's, what's a little confusing. It's not that's a dot what, com. Yeah. 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 So I've heard this guy on a couple different podcasts already. And, and, um, you know, he's very unique um, because he brings three different things to the table, which normally don't match up. He's a programmer, um, so he can write code. Um, he's also able to create like a visually, you know, strong website. Um, a lot of times coders aren't able to create something that's, that's intuitive or user-friendly. Um, they can create the backbone, but they can't make it pretty or make it simple to use. He's capable of doing both of those. And the third thing is he, he's a writer, like he's in that world. So he understands exactly what tools writers need in order to succeed. Um, so he's able to create those tools uh, in a website and in that format um, in a way that's, that's very user-friendly. And he's got some really unique things coming out and things that are already out, out there um, available as a beta uh, that are really strong. So I'm excited to see what he comes up with over the next year or so. Yeah, and Story Origin is in free beta right now. So if you want to get a head start and get into that dashboard and check it out prior to our conversation with Evan, do that now. Uh, for for those of you out there who are wondering what story origin is, it's Evan's really taken a focus on the mailing list, reader magnets, uh, promo swaps. So he, he's building a place for authors to connect with other authors and sort of share readership. So if any of that kind of stuff interests you, I'd highly recommend you jump in there and sign up for that beta. Yeah, absolutely. He just needs to find a better URL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something a little little easier to find. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So to our listeners, we appreciate your support. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Until next time, have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.